Hello and welcome everyone to our Wealthy Wednesday Season 2 finale. I'm Steph Davies and I am so excited to bring you today the entire Wealthy team. We're down only one member, so Jodie, you're very missed today. Uh, welcome, Tiffy. Welcome. How are you, Steph? Very well. Very well. Welcome, Dom. Hello, hello. It's good to be here seeing all these beautiful faces, bright and you know, happy to share their stories. And Peter. Hey guys, how are you? It's good to be back. I've been away for a few episodes, but you've all been doing a fantastic job and I'm really interested to um, have this chat today. It's it's another season under the belt and, um, you know, things are looking bright. So thanks for having me. Man, you've been doing other podcasts and other <laughs> studios. And I know, I've been spreading, spreading my <laughs> wings a little bit. You guys have, have done so good. Uh, so I've got to find other things to do. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure about that, Pete. We love having you on here. Thank you. Today, I'm really excited to talk about everything that we've seen in season two. And I want to kick off by one little fun thing that I've created called the Wealthy Win. So I want to go around the table, if you guys don't mind. And what I'd love to hear from you is your Wealthy Win. So this might be something you've seen, you've experienced uh, in in life or outside of, outside of what we're doing each day at work, uh, because I'm really keen to hear what's changed for you this season. Tiffy, would you like to kick us off? Sure. So I know we were hoping to keep it separate from work. Mine, it's a little bit of a mix. So my biggest win has been the Wealthy Podcast in Spanish. Mm. Um, to me, it's, it has been such a journey, very exciting to be able to speak to a community that I can relate with very well. And just bringing them more and more information, particularly we're seeing a lot of people who want to start investing in property and don't know how to go about it because they have no one in Australia that can help them out. They don't know anyone, right? So it's been super exciting. It's I'm, I'm loving it. And yeah, it, that's my, my win for this season. That's a big win. Yeah. Hola to all of our Spanish listeners. Probably not on this podcast. <laughs> well, there were some of them, as in I've had a few messages, private messages saying I was following the English one, but now that it's in Spanish, I'm going to go with the Spanish one. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That's awesome, Tiffy. I'm so excited for you. Congratulations. I know there's Thanks. a huge amount of work that's gone into launching our Spanish podcast from, from yourself, from Jody, from the broader wealthy team that support us every day. So thank you to everyone that's been involved. And I'm so excited, Tiffy. I can just see you flying with that. Yeah. Dom, what's your wealthy win? What's my wealthy win? We've had some wealthy wins recently, but we'll keep it out of business. And personally, my big wealthy win is uh, I've been practicing what we preach. So for the longest time, we talk about, um, you know, telling people to go buy an investment property, live in their own home, take investor grants, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, doing the hard yards for, for the past six months, I've been living in Cambridge Park and commuting an hour plus every single day into the office. And that's been an absolute joy. <laughs> Um, look, it, te it teaches you to reflect and do other things in that spare time. Uh, but my big wealthy win is now I'm moving out of that investment property and um, moving into a home in Coogee. So I'll be neighbors with, with you, uh, Tiffy, and not far from Steph and not far from Peter. So I'll, I feel like I'll be back at home. And that's, for me, a massive wealthy win. Um, what of, one of the things that I think that makes you wealthy is owning your time and not being beholden to people and your circumstance. So for me, being able to, you know, ride into work or walk or have more time in my mornings and afternoons, not traveling is really important to me because I want to spend time with all of you and with, you know, my family. So cutting that down is a huge wealthy win for me. I love that, Dom, and it, particularly the message there around practicing what you preach. I know every single day in the office, we're all talking about our property moves and, and strategizing mm. um, what we're doing personally as well for clients. So I'm really excited for you and Charlotte and Apollo, the whole family. All right, Pete, you've got a big one. Share, <coughs> share it with us. Yeah, so I think the, the past few months, we've worked, we've all worked really hard um, and we've all tried to remain really positive in a market and in an environment that has been difficult for a lot of people. And as a business and as people, we've, we've, we decided very early on to take a glass half full approach. Um, and for me, my wealthy win, as Dom said, being wealthy is more than just having more. I think for me, being wealthy, my wealthy win has been appreciating what we have. 
And so, um, you know, we are very blessed to be in a fantastic country and we're very blessed to have a great business and a great team and, you know, great families and I'm blessed to have um, children and everything else. But what, what for me, being wealthy and my win has been just to appreciate everything. Um, and so I've found more fulfilment, um, I think, um, and I've just, the pandemic has, has brought forward all the things that could go wrong. Um, and so rather than just wanting more and just having, we fall into a, a trap of just wanting to add to the list or tick things off. Um, but I think it's been great to stand back and just say, you know, I'm grateful for everything that we have and being positive and having a positive mindset, I think, and maintaining that positive mindset uh, while times have been tough to me has been the biggest win. Can I add to what I love that, Peter, because one of the things about a positive mindset, and this is for all of you out there that aren't necessarily positive, I think the hot tip or secret about being positive is that you don't always feel it, but you can still project it, mm. right? Even if you feel a little bit like shit or even if you can point to the things that go wrong, you just make a decision not to. Like, for instance, if, if things are tough and you are moving, so shit's everywhere, right? <laughs> so you could choose to be, say the negative or point to the negative, but being positive is just pointing to the things that are going to go right or the things that you want to go right or ways that you can, things that can be better. It's pointing to the silver lining, even if you don't feel it. So people that think, oh, you know, you're always so positive, you don't necessarily feel it all the time, but if you project it and if you act in that way, then it starts to sort of happen in that way it's a choice and you either can choose to let the things bring you down and there's no shortage the problem is that being negative is is an addiction you fall into a trap and one thing begets another and there's no shortage in today's environment of things that can go wrong um however if we we as a team you know i'm not just talking about myself but all of us we made a choice in february and in march to embrace this challenge in a different light to not be taken by it we haven't been naive we know that there's a real impact out there but every time we get punched in the face you know we get back up and 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 we become stronger and smarter and i'm really proud of the way that we've projected that in season two and you know tiffy's launched a podcast steph you've come into the team uh, we've grown the team we've helped people and while at times there's you know business um, can chop and change and things can go for us and against us uh, we've held our ground and I'm, I'm very proud of that so to me that's the biggest win can i add something so i think we all create our own realities right what we attract our own thoughts so when things we it's not okay to say we can be happy all the time, like yeah. it's impossible to be happy and up all the time and things can go wrong. But I think the whole, when something stays, goes wrong, staying positive and trying to focus on the positive, even when we cannot see it, that's the message, I think. Yeah, and you know, what's the point in having money if you're not happy or if you're not content? Because you'll, you'll, never, you'll be chasing something that is never attainable. Um, so again, as we go back to being wealthy, what does it mean? It means different things for all of us, but it can start with you know your mindset and there's nothing stopping you from having a wealthy mindset today, regardless of what's going on in your life. How about you? It's time for you. <laughs> what's been your wealthy <laughs> win? You're not getting, yeah, you're not, you're not running away from this one. <laughs> I'm just sitting here going, wow, yep, this is, this is great. We're all on the same page. Um, so I was thinking about this yesterday and thinking about my wealthy win or win outside of work. And we've been very busy in our family, renovating our family farm. And that this has been something a little bit new because normally I'm working in the commercial residence, residential space on huge buildings. Um, so when it's been the family farm, there's lots of moving parts. Um, my mum wanted to replace the roof, which was going to be like 25 grand. And we found a way to get around that and reseal it and respray it and save about $20,000. So that happened last week. And I thought, that's a great wealthy win. Um, and that'll be, my, that'll be my win that I talk about on the podcast tomorrow. Um, but then last night I reflected a little bit more and I think that there's much more to that story. Um, over the last sort of few months with COVID, I've taken a lot of time out to reflect on what's important. And normally I spend my weekends off horsing or playing sport or doing a million things. Um, but I've been spending a bit more time involved in the family renovation. And I think the involvement and the joy and the connection with the family and, um, and that sort of mini developer coming out in me has been 
has been the the most sort of enlightening um, lesson over the last few months, and and being able to have impact and share all the knowledge that I've been been lucky to gain in property and um, and share that with the family. So I'm really excited for the farm to be finished, but there's probably a lot more lessons and and wins along the way to come out of it. Mm, definitely, that's nice. <laughs> that's that's a that's it brings something forward and that I think the during the pandemic we've all been really taken back by our relationships you know our friends and our family and Tiffy I know for example you have a big community group that you're part of mm. and you know those things that maybe we took for granted are now very very special to us right I like all those little little wealthy wins you know I fixing the roof and finding a cheaper alternative. I love all the little life hacks. Little wealthy wins, Charlotte bought a fridge for online and it didn't fit. She bought it for like 120 bucks and then sold it for, you know, 400. All those little things, it's their, their oh, wow. great- That's gr pretty good return, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> She's gonna quit her job and just start selling fridges. We should, get, we should do a whole podcast on that. Yeah. Season three, oh, episode look, one. We're just selling all of our old stuff. So I, I really like that, you know, the ways that you can help your family and, and all these little hints and tips and secrets that, you know, Peter normally shares with us. So it's good that you can help your family and pass that on and have this project together. Yeah, no, it's been it's been lots of fun, um, and and doing things on a smaller scale. I've also found you have far less leverage, so you've got to get creative on, on how you can work with trades and and pay them early and and keep everyone happy to get the job done. So that's been fun. So guys, that was really enjoyable. I loved hearing your wealthy wins. Let's get down to business now and start talking about what we've seen in season two. So today is all about having a chat about what we've seen, challenges we've faced, uh, maybe maybe some deals we've been working on and what we've seen in the market because there's been lots happening. Uh, every single day has feels like it's posed almost a new challenge. It's been a rapidly rapidly evolving market. Um, and so because all four of us work in different aspects of the business, uh, I thought it'd be a great opportunity to get together and, um, and go around the table and, and reflect on what we've seen. Who do you want to start with? You're looking at me. <laughs> oh, I'm just thinking. Who do I want to? Who do I want to pick? Do I want to pick first? Let's start with Tiffy because Tiffy, I know um, the the Spanish podcast has been a really great launch and it's opened lots of doors. We've had so many incredible people um, come into our world as a result. Mm. Um, so I'm really keen to hear how how that might have surprised you in some aspects or or, or taken you down a different path at times. Yeah. So. I think I'm going to take a step back and then include the podcast. I think when COVID came a couple of months ago, the the sentiment of the unknown is what people were like, I don't know what to do, right? And as we all learned to live with this new reality, people are now getting uh, more excited about investing, especially with all of the grants coming into the market. Now, it, it all happened sort of simultaneously because as the sentiment started getting better, we started seeing some amazing deals and helping our clients get these amazing deals. That's when it all happened at the same time. I had a few very close friends come to me saying, Tiffy, I'm ready to invest and I want to invest. And then I, for those who don't know me, I love doing live streams everywhere and anywhere really. So I've done a few live streams in like groups that are Latin people in Australia, introduce myself, shared that I was launching the wealthy podcast in Spanish. And then from different areas, like people who are currently living in Australia and outside Australia have started reaching out. So for me, it's been the whole coming together of now we're all, COVID isn't gone, but I, I feel like we've all come to live with it and life does go on. So people who were hoping to invest are like, yeah, let's take this seriously. Let's look for some good deals that are out there. And every market, whether it's going up or down, will have good deals. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, it's been the whole everything coming together, really. Yeah. That's so nice. Mm -hmm. So nice. I'm so excited for you. And I've loved meeting lots of lots of new, wonderful Spanish people yeah. coming into our world <laughs> as well. Now, Dom, we, I know that you and I each and every day are screening opportunities all across the country. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about opportunities, what you've seen out there, what you like the most. Um, we've been through a lot. And I always say, I feel like a broken record. I always say we see the good, the bad and the ugly in this business. Mm. Um, so what are some opportunities that you've, you've seen and you've really liked? I'm, 
I'm just obsessed with this airport. I talk about it all the time, but I really am. It's just because, you know, we've been in property for such a long time and I'm so passionate about it. We go out, we visit estates that have been around for 20 years. We visit estates that have been around for 10 years, been around some estates that have been around for five years. And it's very um, gratifying and it's validating to go and have a look at past projects to see the prices that we paid at that point in time and then how they've evolved. And it's really nice to watch these new communities get established and and see how property values cement and then the rental returns that they're getting and then see these communities flourish. And it's, it excites me because we go to now these brand new estates where effectively there's paddocks and you can forward think and see how these new areas are going to change, evolve and then mature and become good investments. Um, the opportunities that I really like are the ones that are you know 30 minutes from that airport that are within immediate striking distance that are in really nice communities that you can see are heavily populated by owner occupiers like we drive around they've got valleys they've got beautiful green trees they've got nice cars you've got solar panels and all the roofs you've got really nice curved guttering and the properties that we can put together there are not the cheapest because we never work with the cheapest, but they're, you know, 750000 760000 And you can see that these are the communities of the future where the homes will be worth a million or 1.1, 1.2. And it's not for everybody, but there is a demographic. There are people that want to live in these communities and they excite me because we're building really nice homes with some really exciting design features and they're fair prices and the rents that we're, we're getting back are these property properties are neutral or positively geared so it just ticks so many boxes from a you know um from an investor i, I it's, it's the type of stuff that i want you know my family my friends to invest in and i feel very happy and confident that they'll they'll make money so it's, it's, we work on some really crazy, exciting deals on the other side where they're big buildings and whatever else. And Peter and I are looking at some exciting things, but just from a first investment point of view, you know, we sat with Nathan and Sarah the other day, and this is their first investment. They're so excited. And I love doing those ones, helping people buy the first ones. And, and it's a really nice, simple, easy mm. thing to buy it off. Yeah, I agree, Dom. It's really exciting when we've got clients that are aspirational because they're taking that first investment really seriously and we can make sure that we, we do everything we can to ensure it's a platform and it's a springboard for investment one, two, three um, and, and their, their future. But one thing I just want to add to that is that really exciting area we were looking at yesterday, Peter and I were reviewing some data. We were looking at the off-market deal that we have and the vendor discounts available we actually got all the data and we could see that in a particular area because of the owner occupier demand there was less than 1% vendor discount on every um, on every opportunity or in every parcel sold in that area and so I think that understanding that demand and supply and the the community is really important so I'm really excited about that too mm. and oh sorry I want to jump in one more because we've been looking at some and I know that people Melbourne's very contentious at the moment because of COVID but I really do think that there are some exciting markets to look at in Melbourne, particularly not the inner city, but sort of that, that city fringe ring. There's some really, really nice sort of, um, of packages that you can get where you get land content at prices that are just disproportionate from the market. I like going into an area and you can see homes selling for two or three million dollars and then you've got townhouses selling for like 700,000. You're like... Mm. In Sydney, it doesn't make sense because it's such a disproportionate, you know, uh, level between the two. But um, yeah, there's some really exciting deals out there, particularly Melbourne. But you've got to be a, a fairly courageous investor to go pick up stuff over there right now. That's right, and and we're we're taking taking all of those steps to to make sure that make sure that they're very calculated, very calculated risk. 
Yep. Now that alludes to our next question because I also want to talk about the challenges, the challenges that we've seen this season. And I'm looking at Pete because Peter and I were going through a lot of data and analytics yesterday. And I think that that's a, a good um, avenue to talk about the challenges. We've got some good opportunities, for example, in Melbourne, but then the challenges has been valuation. So let's let's talk about challenges that you've seen, Pete. So maybe before we jump into that, I'll just add um, a point to on the previous um, question in that the opportunities. You know, where are the opportunities and what are we seeing as opportunities? I'll take one step back and we're very good at finding particular deals and areas and hotspots and the actual product. That's what we do very well. But where my thoughts are or where my big picture is, is is what will happen to all asset prices over the next five or 10 years. Because that's very important. A lot of people jump into real estate and they're, they're, it's tunnel vision. They're looking at that property, oh, that's not a worth a million dollars, that's not worth 750. If you take a step back and have a think about the money system overall, I don't wanna get into it too much because that's a whole nother series of podcasts. But if you have a look, you know the governments around the world are just pumping all this money in. And as an investor, and as someone, even if you're new, you have to sit back and say, okay, well, where does this money come from and what does it mean? So to me, this money doesn't appear out of thin air. It's not free money. It has to get paid back into the future. Interest rates are at zero and probably going negative. New concept that, you know, that didn't teach us at university when we all went to university and we went to school. So we are in a different world. The way you think about money, your principles about money, the values about money, what your parents and grandparents know about money, the game's changed and is changing right before our eyes. And so you have to think very carefully, if I'm going to save and not do something, what is the consequence of that? I'm not, and, and I truly believe that all assets, whether it's gold, whether it's real estate, whether it's stocks, are going to rise in value relative to paper money because paper money is just being printed. And that's very important because what is a million dollars today, as Dom said, isn't going to be a million dollars in 10 years time because the value of a million dollars is going down. Now we're very fortunate in Australia because um, our major trading partners are Asian countries, Asian nations. And in the Asian cultures, in the Eastern cultures, they understand that. That's why traditionally Singaporeans, Malaysians, Indonesians, Chinese love to buy real estate. Be or even in the Middle East, um, generally Eastern cultures, they, they love real estate because they know they've come from countries where the value of paper, the value of money has diminished. Their grandfathers and, and, and previous generations know that holding paper money isn't a smart strategy. In the West, in, in Australia, the UK, the US, traditionally we haven't had issues with, with economies collapsing and everything else. But it's very important and I think what we wanna do as a business is help find fantastic opportunities, but also open people's eyes up to the bigger picture. And if you wanna build wealth and you wanna have that financial freedom, you have to now start thinking, not too much, don't, don't jump into it and let it spook you, but doing nothing has a cost. And, and I think to me that, that um, is very important when you're seeking opportunities. And also if you wanna talk about where the risks are. I want to touch on this as well because it's this is part of our equation as well. We talk about this very often around the room. Tiffy's familiar with it because she's from South American countries where inflation and hyperinflation has impacted her and her family and people on her podcast. And I'll go over to you in a minute. But um, Ray Dalio, if for all of you that are listening or out there and interested in economics and how things work, Ray Dalio is one of the most sophisticated investors of all time, one of the best investors. He has a company called Bridgewater Capital, and he's been talking a lot recently about inflation and the impact inflation has uh, on assets, what Peter's talking about. Um, as Peter's saying, they're printing money out there and when they print lots of money, what happens, Tiffy? <laughs> it, definitely money's worth nothing, basically. That the, the paper is worth nothing. I was born and raised in, in the, I was born in 88 and during my first 12 years of 
life. My currency, the one I was trading with, was one Argentinian peso was equal to one US dollar. Now you need above 130 pesos to buy one US dollar, right? And we're seeing like between 30 and 50% annual inflation. So you just never ever keep money. I found a bill that I had like in one of my trips, I forgot to spend what was at that point in time, 100 pesos, which now is probably worth like $1, but in, in a 10, 15 years ago was $100, right? So it's worth nothing, basically. So Tiffy, given your experience, the investors um, in Argentina mm. that managed to build wealth during this great yeah. reset, what did they do? <laughs> they all put it in bricks. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the number one vehicle, really. And if you, if you, for example, have a look at what's happening in Lebanon at the moment today, right, the value of the Lebanese currency has gone from 1,500 lira to a US dollar to 10,000. So all the investors and all those that are relatively middle to, to upper class that have wealth have all been buying real estate. They've been buying anything other than the paper that's being printed. And we're fortunate in Australia that we don't have those issues, but the world overall when the US pumps $3 trillion in the space of four months, when Australia announces a $200 billion job keeper, job seeker scheme, it's not free money, right? So, so the, the, when you print the value of that home, if something sounds crazy, 750 grand, because you could have bought it for 300 five years ago, well, in 10 years time, it's probably gonna be 2 million. This is what's crazy because I've, you know, you read different books and I love listening to other opinions and literature and you read The Barefoot Investor and all these other books where they talk about how can property values be, you know, how can a house be worth 3 million or 6 million or whatever it is? And it's it's not 6 million in today's dollars, mm. you know? Um, so if you've got an asset that's worth a million dollars today and then you have some inflation and then that asset now is worth, or the dollars are worth, you know, five times that, that asset jumps up in that value. And if your debt remains the same. And even barefoot investor, while traditionally a lot of stock market guys talk down real estate, yeah. they talk up the stock market. Yeah. Right. So whether it's stocks or whether it's real estate or whether it's buying statues, collecting <laughs> art, it, what, what, how you invest is up to you. But if you're gonna rubbish real estate for being expensive, go and have a look at the stock market. Go and have a look at the, the US market or the Aussie market. They are a lot more expensive. The yield you get on Woolworths shares is a lot less than what you get in an, on an apartment in Western Sydney mm. somewhere. So if you're gonna rubbish something, like they do, then have that same counter argument for the thing that you're recommending. That's my only grievance with guys like that. Um, and you know, pick the thing that's right for you. That's what I always tell people. My grandma loved real estate, and so if it was good enough for my grandma and her grandma and the one before, then it's good enough for me. Yeah, your grandma sounds a lot like my grandma. <laughs> my dad went and bought cars <laughs> instead of real estate. I'm like, fuck, she bought more properties, Dad. Tom, you're swearing again on the Sorry. podcast. Oh no, naughty. Um, no, we, we all love real estate. I think that also reminds me of another point, Pete, that we were talking about the other week. And when you're assessing the different assets that you're going to invest in, leverage is a huge is a huge um, factor. You can't leverage your money on shares or other assets like you can in property. Um, and we, we talk about it a lot with our clients, comparing different strategies. There's no one size fits all. So yeah, when you, so again, not to get too technical, but when you buy shares, if you're buying Woolworths shares or you're buying Telstra shares or you're buying Commonwealth Bank shares, those companies themselves borrow money. So if you're gonna borrow to buy something that's borrowed, you're gonna get more volatility. Whereas real estate, you do borrow a lot of money, but you have a relatively stable return. You have a relatively stable type of asset. And so our parents' generation or our grandparents' generation traditionally didn't like debt. They didn't like to borrow because they grew up. Post-war, interest rates peaked at 17, 18%. But I was born in 1984. And if you have a look at what's happened to interest rates since 1984, they've come down from 17% to zero. So what works for me is different to what works for them. They hated debt because if you're paying 17% interest rate, I'd hate debt too. 
But if I'm paying 1% or 2%, that's the best deal going around if I can take that, not blow it, but buy something that's going to grow at 3 or 4%. 3 or 4% today is attractive because my borrowing cost is 1% or 2%. So the game's changed again in terms of debt. Before, before, you know, when I first started buying real estate, people would talk about this magical number of trying to get a 5% yield or a 6% yield. And that was like, you know, that was what you needed to get as a minimum because interest rates were so high. When now I think we've got to reset the scales because, you know, with yields compressing, then what's an acceptable yield has actually changed. Before, I'd only buy real estate or residential at a 5% yield or, you know, 4% yield. But now 3% may be acceptable because the interest rates are so low and the value of that debt is compressed. And that's not to say that um, you want to necessarily go buy yield things that are really low yielding. But what I'm saying is that the tolerance for you to go buy stuff that has a lower yield has risen. So you can go buy better quality assets now. For me, my rule of thumb is I, I don't have a, a number in mind that I want to stick to as long as my return is higher than the cost of the money I'm borrowing. Mm. That makes sense. Yes, right? exactly. Mm. That's the game. You want to return above your cost of capital. Absolutely. And Dom, just on that point as well, I think that also touches on what we've seen this season in, in Wealthy and, and the stock that we're reviewing is that is that race to quality. So finding quality as yields compress and as the market changes, ensuring that we've got the best quality so that anything our clients are looking at or buying into is really focused on that future tenant that will pay a premium rent or future purchaser that will pay a premium to, to purchase that asset in the longer term. There's two types of assets, and I, and I learned this from Warren Buffett. Um, it's very simple. There are two types of assets, ones that pay you money as you hold them and ones that you buy with the hope of reselling it higher into the future. So if you buy Bitcoin or if you buy gold, they're not paying you anything. You don't generate a return from them. You just hope that if you pay 10,000 for a Bitcoin or 2,000 for an ounce of gold that you can sell it more in the future like arts, like collectibles. Real estate's unique because a real estate or a farm or a stock or a business pays you every month or every week. And while at times there might be volatility, your tenants might move out, they might, we might have a pandemic and things are disrupted. Think about it over the long term. If, if, if the, your asset doesn't rise as quick as what you hope, it's okay because you've got that income that's coming to you. So think very carefully about each type of asset. And cash, having your money in the bank, what's the return that it's giving you? You know, and what does that mean? And is it growing in value? Cash is the worst because you're getting the, the lowest rate of return and it doesn't grow. Commonwealth Bank's not going to write you a letter and say, oh, you know what, your 10 grand term deposit, we're just going to give you another five grand and make that 15. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, CVA. Really appreciate that. That's right. Now, Pete, you mentioned earlier you wanted to talk about risks. Was that risks that we've seen this season and risks to be not mindful of? Um, there are a lot of risks in the market, so there's no such thing as a free lunch. Um, and what we all say as a team is let's document the risks. So we are in a pandemic. There are a lot of things that could go against you when you're investing. But let's list them down and let's contextualize what they mean. So if my tenant moves out or doesn't pay my rent, what does that mean in the overall scheme of things? If the market drops slightly, what does that mean? Um, if stamp duty is cut, you know, well, what I want to, the message that I want to give people is that don't be overwhelmed by the risks. If the risks outweigh the return, great, you've made a sound decision. But don't let one little risk offset so much opportunity elsewhere. Absolutely. And what comes to mind for me there is that knowledge is power. So when assessing any investment choice, as long as you know what those risks are, exactly right, Pete, you can list them down and then you can go through each risk and mitigate each one individually. And to Tiffy's point, there is a risk in holding cash. Most people think if I hold cash, there's no risk, right? But there is a risk because if more cash is printed and the value of your 100 pesos be nothing. <laughs> goes from buying you a nice dress to a pencil, guess what? There was a lot of risk in you not 
exchanging that 100 pesos for something else. Mm, the opportunity cost. That's right. The opportunity cost of I, sitting back. Can I talk about risks? So one of the conversations I've had with a few clients in the last weeks has been about um, Melbourne being um, where we have some great deals, but their fear of what happens whilst we're in lockdown. So I shared my own personal story. One of my properties in New Zealand was vacant two weeks before it went into full lockdown in, back in April. And yeah, I had a whole month where the property was empty. But then I had a property manager doing everything as in within her capabilities, posting photos online, etc. And the day the, the level four restrictions were lifted and went to level three, then the following day I had someone moving in, right? So there's things that can be done even whilst we're in full lockdown, right? So when, when, when we're talking about measuring risks, can, can I afford having the property empty for a whole month? If I can, then yeah, I'm, I'm willing to do that. Of course, like if one of my clients say, was saying, oh, but should I be considering having to afford having it empty for a full year? I was like, if you believe that you're going to have it empty for a full year, then don't buy it because no, that's not something that we would advise you to, right? Mm. I, I don't think it's actually realistic to assume we'll have a property empty for a whole year. Yeah, some <laughs> some people ask you to put some really crazy assumptions. assumptions. Yeah. If it's going to be empty for a whole year, maybe you should just reduce the rent. Exactly, it's like just twenty dollars. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little unrealistic. Maybe the price is too high, or you're doing something wrong. Um, but the, the, there are some other risks that are out there. I think that one of the risks that we try to mitigate is the actual property risk. Like the market's going to do what the market's going to do, and if you pick the right mark, you've done the research, then it's going to be okay. But if you buy a shitty asset, that's not a swear word, is it? No. <laughs> a shitty asset in a good area and it has problems with it, then you're going to have a really bad time. Like if, if you buy a terrible house or a terrible apartment or a terrible townhouse in a good area and it's costing you money to repair it or there's cracks or it's falling apart, then that's a really bad day. And it's sad to say, because I don't want to be one of those propagators of um, negative news, but there are bad developers and there are bad builders out there. And I think part of the, the value that we put into the market is helping people avoid the pitfalls. You know, um, just buying a good asset in a good area is gonna perform well. But if you're buying, you know, we've seen some really shocking builds and some really bad developers. And there are a lot of telltale signs that you can pick up if you're in the industry know. Um, and if you're a builder, you can definitely go out and see the things that are gonna be issues down the road. So a lot of the inexperienced investors, I really encourage you to go and seek knowledge and talk to people and double check everything before you go out there because there are still dodgy builders and builds going that are, that are popping up. And um, that's another risk that I'd be very, very mindful of in this market. Yeah, when, when we talk about good and bad investments, something that came up uh, yesterday, actually, I was talking to a client, they said, oh, I had a, I had a lemon in my portfolio and we we're talking about properties that they've owned in the past. And I, and I had a really interesting chat and told them that what might be a lemon to them may not be a lemon to someone else. So that's the other thing to, to always consider what you might think is a bad investment might not actually be a bad investment to someone else. You've just bought what hasn't matched your situation or hasn't matched what your goals are objectives were with that. So you might have been after a high yield and then you've actually bought something in the wrong market that is more capital growth focused and has a lower yield. So um, so understanding your goals and object objectives are really important. A lemon property is, is a lot better than a lemon stock that goes from $5 to zero. <laughs> it's a lot better than a lemon car that becomes a, you know, scrap value. Um, so even if you have a look at real estate investment mistakes, avoid them at all costs. But it's an asset class that, you know, there's bricks and mortar and there's a replacement cost there and there's a block of land and time heals all wounds. Uh, so even <laughs> that's why I like it because even when you do get it wrong, as, assuming you don't do something completely stupid, yeah. even when you do get it wrong, it becomes a, a mistake that you can live with and readjust and grow from. Whereas if you went and invested in the stock, have a look at the stock market. I used to be a stock market guy and I left because in 2009, I was advising 40,000 clients when the market was collapsing. And that happened again, you know, six months ago and it will happen again. And when you buy a stock and it goes from $5 to 10 cents, a lot of the times that happens, 
it's hard to recover. If you buy a piece of property and it goes from 500,000 to 400,000, you've made a mistake, right? Because that's not the goal. The goal is to buy 5,000 and it goes to a million. But even at four, four, $400,000, it's bringing you rent, time will heal all wounds and it will be worth more in the future. So to me, it's that simple, right? Your risk to reward, contextualize it, keep that in the back of your mind. Dom, I, this brings to mind the conversation we were having with one of our clients when we were talking about time heals all wounds. Um, sometimes we get um, blindsided by $5,000, right, mm. as, as a negotiation. And in 20 years' time, that property, whether you paid $5,000 more or less, wouldn't have made a difference if the property has tripled, quadrupled in value, right? So mm. you were sharing the story of your uncle and the sheep and stuff. Peter's uncle. Ah, okay, <laughs> cool. Peter, Peter, he, he, he buying a block of land and then they got stuck on a negotiation point with about a sheep or something? They were buying a farm. It was my dad's cousin. He, they were buying a farm out in Western Sydney and it was an entire suburb at the time. This is like 60 years ago. And they negotiated, they did a deal and there was a cow as part of the, the, the farm. And after they did the deal, the, the vendor said, that cow's coming with me and it's sentimental to the family. And my dad's relative said, no, that, oh, we made a deal. It was everything on the farm. And they reneged on that. And today there's an airport being built, you know, a $20 billion project and a, a, an acre is going for a, a million and a half. So don't, as Tiffy said, don't let the little things disrupt you from making the big moves. I'm, I'm talking about that with clients now and, and in a different context mm. where we're telling them to spend a little bit more money, where we're saying, look, you should spend a little bit more money on the build to get a better quality home. And I'm saying $30,000 seems like a lot today, but it's not in the grand scheme of things because if you're building a much better home, if you're getting an extra bedroom or an extra bathroom or a bigger car garage or, you know, 40 extra square meters of space or whatever it is that we're telling you to get, it comes with experience in mind because we've seen what happens in five or 10 years. It's like, uh, to use an analogy, it's like when you're running a marathon and you've got like a, a rock or something in your foot, you know, it, it rubs at the start, but after the end of the race, it's like your whole foot, you wanna just chop it off. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's the impact of this little thing over a long period of time that you really need to be mindful of in property and people make that mistake all the time. They won't go spend money on the floors to get better quality flooring or they won't spend money on the ceiling or... It's funny because nobody drives the cheapest car, nobody eats at the cheapest restaurants, wears the cheapest clothes or buys the cheapest watches. But when it comes to buying real estate, everybody wants to get the cheapest or cut corners. And it's just that mindset, right? Yeah. You, you, should, be buying the, you should be buying the cheapest car and buying the most expensive house mm. because you're getting more. You're not paying you're not paying more, you're buying, you're buying something better. Yeah, you're getting way, way more value. People go and spend like a hundred grand on their weddings and, you know, but they want to save five grand on tiles or, or whatever it is. It's like, come on, man. Wild. Priorities. Yeah. Wild, wild things. They, they might be our next, uh, our wealthy wild moments <laughs> when, we, when we find people spending money on wild things like that. Um, okay, guys, I know we need to wrap up shortly, but I want to talk um, just lastly about what we're about to see um, in the next sort of cycle. So we've done a really nice wrap on season two. What are we going to see next? I know I want to talk about supply uh, from all the developments we've been working on. We've been seeing a lot of residual stock. We've been seeing the pain point that developers have been in where they've where they've committed money to their pipeline and they've committed their cash flow to their next deal or the next site acquisition um, and the need to move residual stock. Now, as the as COVID impacts the market and and their movements, I want to I want to know sort of in terms of that supply chain, what's going to happen in the next one to two to three years. Some areas are going to be getting lots of supply. Some areas you really want to stay away from because there's towers coming out of the ground and they're not going to stop. Some areas are landlocked and there's not a lot of supply coming onto the market. I think in the, the short term, there's no migration. So there will be a little bit of an imbalance where there will be some more property coming onto the market than people moving into the country. 
But I suspect that after things normalize, and I've got my hands in inverted commas for people that are listening, um, we're going to see a lot of migrants coming to Australia because they're going to realize as a country, it's one of the best in the world. They're going to revalue America in their mind. They're going to revalue the UK. And they're going to say that little island over there, big island over there, has a good stable economy, has a good government. They've got healthcare, they've got education, they've got clean air. That's the place that I want to bring my family to. And that was happening before. And I think it's going to accelerate. And the value of real estate is going to come back with a vengeance. And that's my prediction for the sort of two to three year mark. Um, there's going to be pent up demand for this country of ours. And the local environment, I don't think that, that they should value it as much as internationals will. Dom, I think on that point, we've already seen it. We've already seen a lot of expats be living in London, New York, all around the world. And those Australians are looking back at Australia going, wow, I wish I was I wish I was in lockdown working from home at the, at the Australian house, being surrounded by my family at the moment. They don't want to be in that London apartment cooped up. And they're, they're already looking at Australia and looking at real estate options here. Yeah, so be brave. Come out and have a look at things now. Yeah. Fortune, my dad used to tell me um, a proverb when I was young, and that's fortune favours the brave. And so it's very brave to be buying in this market. But if you have a look at how Warren Buffett made his money and you have a look at Dalio and all the great investors, they weren't buying when things were comfortable. They were buying when things were uncomfortable and they were buying good quality things. So Warren Buffett made a lot of his money buying Coca-Cola, for example, when nobody wanted it and nobody saw the big consumption and the developing world and everything else. So if you can buy a quality piece of real estate today and, and put contextualize all the risks and be brave because you do have to be brave, we fundamentally believe that you'll reap the rewards in the future. And while we can't, we can't predict what will happen to the world. What we can is do is we can have a look at the amount of new supply coming on because we talk to developers all the time and we have a look at approvals and we have all that data. And what we do know is it's becoming a lot harder and more expensive to build more. Um, and so that it's gonna limit the amount of supply coming on. And just to add to that, there's a very limited supply of good quality stuff. Mm. There's a lot of shitty stuff out there. There's a lot of crappy developers throwing things everywhere and I wouldn't touch it. Not, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want anyone to put their money in that. So I, that's the stuff you want to avoid. But good quality real estate, there's a limited supply of that. Yeah, and what people don't realize is that things take time to materialize, right? For any developer to complete a project, it will take them three, four years to acquire the site, raise the money, etc. So when we're thinking supply with everything happening with COVID, of course, now everyone's like trying to hold. But that means that as you were mentioning, Dom, what's going to happen in the next two, three years, in two, three years time, we will, Australia will start receiving a massive influx of migration because that's how Australia grows. That's how Australia has behaved all along. And at that point in time, that's where what St Steph was saying of residual stock. In three years time, there won't be any residual stock. And if we have developers not starting things right now, which is not the right time to start things, then you will have that shortage. Absolutely. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, um, I've really enjoyed this chat today, guys. My takeaways are that we need to contextualize what's going on. We need to understand that there are opportunities out there in the market, but to look and search for quality. I loved your analogy, Pete, around how clients can possibly drive the cheapest car that might, may even be slightly unsafe. Um, and then... And, and then look at and then be buying expensive property and sometimes they get it the wrong way around and they're buying expensive everybody cars wants to see wanting, 63 amg yeah and then they're wanting they the complain cheapest, about property prices yeah and then they want the cheapest nastiest property so let's let's flip that and start getting it back on track um and then also um understand all the risks and tick them off um and more importantly that the market's going to be coming back with a vengeance so fortune favors the brave and we need to focus on everything in context Thank you so much for the chat today, guys.
guys, I want to wrap up with our our final wealthy question, which we actually added in season two. We asked our guests, what does wealthy mean to them? So I'd love to just quickly go around the table and give me your snapshot. I think I've said this in the past, but I'm going to repeat it. To me, wealth is freedom, freedom to choose what to do with my time. So for me, the, the properties are the asset I choose to invest in any passive income, whether you feel comfortable with any asset, but that passive income bring, provides me with that freedom to choose to go to work, basically. So being wealthy is being able to choose how you spend your time, whether it's family, friends, projects that might not give you money, but it's just something that fulfills you. Love that. And Dom, what does wealthy mean to you? Yeah, like this is wealth is the genesis of our to our belief is just time. As Tiffy's saying, we really believe in value in time. So if you've got a passive income and or you've got enough passive income that you don't have to sweat or stress, then you're fundamentally wealthy. You know what's funny? Um, we we say it's time, right? And at times, uh, if you've got too much time, you find yourself bored. But have you noticed people that have too much time on their hands are like, oh, I'm so bored. And to me, boredom is a sign of being wealthy because if, if time is the most valuable thing you have in your life and you've got so much of it, appreciate it. You know, Don't take it for granted. Being bored is a good thing. Um, and as Tiffy said, all the choices that you have in life, life is uh, a lot more pleasurable to live when you can choose and make choices and you're not forced into a situation because we all inherently in our human nature ha- have that desire to be free um, and want to make choices and want to be um, in charge of our destiny. So I think that's perfectly summarizes it, that what it means to us. It's not about your bank account. It's about how to use the money to live the life you want. Peter, Dom, Tiffy, thank you so much for an incredible season two, uh, for welcoming me into the wealthy team with open arms. I'm having the most amazing time. Let's leave it there and we'll pull up stumps. I can't wait for our next season of Wealthy Wednesdays podcast. For everyone listening in uh, on Spotify, on our knowledge base, YouTube, wherever you're tuning in from, we'd love you to like, share it with a friend, uh, tag tag a mate uh, down below if there's anything that you heard or listened to or saw today that resonated with you and we can't wait to uh, see you soon. Cool.